I've mentioned it to my family, but in terms of telling people like, oh yeah, we're doing this, I'm looking for projects. You got anything, yeah. I'm, I'm not there yet because it scares the out of me. Dreaming of launching your own architecture firm? Well, well, buckle up for a wild ride with Emerging, the podcast that shares what it's really like to start an architecture firm. Where do we begin? We don't even know what type of business to formalize as. Is it an LLC? Is it an LLP? Like how are taxes? I mean, the list is astronomical. Season one featured founders Jeffrey, Lexi, and Chris, owners of Level Studio Architecture, are your fearless guides on this unfiltered journey from napkin sketches to a thriving studio. One evening, stumbled into one last dive, we sat at the bar and pondered our postgraduate futures. Amidst the conversation, a napkin became the canvas for our aspirations, sketching plans and milestones, sealing our heartfelt commitment and shared dreams. In drawing down dreams on a napkin collectively, that (laughs) then, you know, in your head, you've rooted like, oh, I'm connected to these people, like long term. The process of starting an architecture practice brims with excitement and challenges, demanding meticulous planning, flawless execution, and unyielding resilience. I kind of hate the term because it's so overly used, but I think everybody knows imposter syndrome. And I think it's, it's so real to this day. I, I I don't know if it's with everybody, but with me, I'm always questioning like us, can we do this? Are we ready to do this? Are we prepared? Can we do it? Did we just decide a name? (laughs) We did it guys. One that came out of nowhere. It came out of nowhere. I liked it. I saw it. Ready to turn your aspirations into reality? Follow the link in the show notes to subscribe to Emerging and chart your own path to architectural success. Hello, my name is Demetrius. This is Jason. Hello. And you are listening to Spaces Podcast Express. Thank you for coming back, everybody. Jason, uh, as we were just talking offline, we're in a little bit of overtime due to scheduling uh, for our long-form episode. We were supposed to be done with Express last week, but everybody gets a few extra episodes out of us just to fill the fill the time. So, Gotta give the people what they want, right? <laughs> I hope they want. <laughs> so, you know, Jason, you know uh, Dave Chappelle, right? The comedian. Oh, for sure. And this is going to sound like I'm all over the place, but let me set this up. So recently he was in the news um, because he is basically in some sort of fight with Comedy Central about the Chappelle show, his sitcom that he had on Comedy Central. Basically, there was some sort of um, discrepancy and he doesn't get royalties off of the Chappelle show after he left. So... Since Comedy Central has distributed that show onto some of the streaming platforms like Netflix and HBO Max, and he actually asked Netflix, because he has a current contract with them and he's doing a lot of work with them, he voiced his concerns and uh, opinion about the whole situation. And Netflix actually agreed and pulled all of the Chappelle Show content off of the platform. Um, but he recently did like a short 18 minute stand up where he kind of goes into his explanation and his stance. And he talks about how basically 
Comedy Central gave him a raw deal um, and not worth what he was worth and continuing to make money off of it. So he's asked everybody to not stream from HBO, blah, blah, blah. So he's taken on this massive giant. And the thing that it sparked in my mind is this is just like a microcosm of society right now. And there's this larger push amongst sort of the David versus Goliath, the the small guy taking on the the big corporation, the big, uh, in quotes, powers that be or, you know, person at the top. Okay. But our industry is no different. Specifically for architecture, there was like a recent rebuke of these large firms that use um, unpaid staff or interns to pump out all this great work that they do and nobody, none of these kids are getting compensated for it. And then there's been sort of on the, on the race side, there's been these groups that have started social media uh, pages and trends called black at whatever the company name is. And they share their experiences of how they've been discriminated against or passed up for opportunities or whatever. There's people pushing for, architecture firms to stop designing prisons and then we talked briefly offline about this company called upcodes which is taking on the icc uh, who has basically had a monopoly on codes being shared throughout our industry so all of that to say (laughs) there's just this mass we're in this crazy time right now where things are sort of upended and people are trying to establish what they feel is right or what has been overlooked. So those were a bunch of things that I've seen in the architecture world. Have you seen anything similar in sort of the construction? I know there's you know always been push for trade, safety, and fair treatment. OSHA has been a big part of that. Yeah, I mean, maybe even workers' comp right and um and other stuff like that. I mean, a lot of the i guess I guess you could look at it from the aspect that a lot of the lawsuits that you will see in the workplace these days from someone that feels they were treated unfairly. Mm -hmm. I mean, like those types of things. And you see me doing the head bob with the unfairly part (laughs) because there's a, it's an interesting, let's go back to like Dave Chappelle. Mm -hmm. So, and I'm I'm not totally familiar with that whole story. I mean, certainly I'd be shocked if people just didn't know the name Dave Chappelle, right? So even using him in the context of being like the little guy against the big guy, right? I mean, I guess it is from a worth standpoint, but from, you know, from a name, the guy's uber famous, right? Yeah. I think from the aspect of somebody like Chappelle, it's hard because if he signed a contract with somebody, right? It's like honor the contract, Mm -hmm. right? So from both sides, you know, I'd be upset if, if a big company was trying to go against the contract they had and just like force their hand to renegotiate. Well, on the flip side of that, Chappelle is doing the same thing, right? Mm -hmm. He's basically saying, I'm not being paid for what I'm worth. Um, but maybe he wasn't worth that back then when he signed all these things, you know, I'm not really sure. Right. And maybe this show is the one that kind of launched him and they obviously fairly paid him a wage at the time with which he, knowingly accepted the terms of, you know what I mean? Um, so I'm kind of torn in that. It's, it's a lot like I, I hopefully I know you watched it, but like the last dance, right. The, the documentary on the bowl yeah. where Scotty Pippen signed a long-term deal 
but it was like short, you know, I, I didn't know it at the time, but it was short, short cash, you know, but a long-term deal. And he basically like held out for part of the season to try and get more. Yeah. Compared to all the other uh, comparable players. It, dude. And a hundred percent, he was worth it in so many different ways, but he made a conscious decision back when to take, you know, the, the, the guaranteed money with less risk. Yeah. You know I mean, which is really what he did at that time, as opposed to saying, well, you know, let me take better money for two years and then see what happens. You know what I mean? And I don't personally love that idea where you go back on your word essentially is how I see that. Right. Now, at the same point, I would tell you the same thing for the big guy or the big company that's doing that. It's like, hold, you know, and there are, I think there's both sides of that. I think there are people that don't hold their word from a singular standpoint and from a company standpoint. And both of those, I would say, you know, screw them, right? Like that's just not the right thing to do. Um, and so then I go into what I was talking about before, like with associates and stuff that, um, that look at it and say, hey, you know, I wasn't being treated fairly or I was passed up or people that left, you know, saying it wasn't equal opportunity. You know, I'd take a lot of that personally if it was on our company side, because I, I pour you know, a lot of myself into our teammates and I know we treat them fairly, if not give them plenty of advantages and, and opportunities. So it's a tough subject, you know what I mean? To really look at and go into, um, you, you mentioned the intern thing. I hate that. And I want to say we went into that maybe a couple of years back, the idea of internships and stuff like that. Yeah. I think we uh, touched on it at some point. Yeah. I, I think there's something to be said about doing an internship, but they should always be paid internships in my opinion. Yeah. Because you are getting some, t- I don't know how you get around that from a labor law standpoint. Like <laughs> yeah. that doesn't make any sense. Right. Yeah. And I think that's only fair to pay some, even if it's minimally like minimum wage to pay somebody for the opportunity to learn, because that's really how the individual that's doing it should look at it. It's an experiential thing. You're usually doing it in like a summer job, if you will. Yeah. Um, and that type of deal. And one thing but- to mention before we move off of that, is the disadvantage of that whole setup of non-paid internships is people that are from financially disadvantaged areas or, and don't have the the capital to be able to do an unpaid internship and just learn for free, those people are going to fall behind. Anybody that comes from wealthy family, they can do the unpaid and not have to worry about food and you know, their rent or whatever. And then they just get further and further ahead. So, yeah. So yeah. that's just a side note. <laughs> that's, a, that's a good point too. But I would, I would tell you as well, when you look at it on the, on the internship side, those individuals are making a conscious choice as well. Mm-hmm. Right. So for whatever reason they're I'm assuming going to a big, bad firm, mm-hmm. right. That's got a lot of notoriety. So you're going to be able to, to, to kind of barter and trade, right. I'm going to give you some of my time for free, but I'm going to be able to put on my resume that I interned with, this type of deal. So hopefully later down the road that when it's in the stack, it I, I outweigh. Yeah. You know what I mean? So um, do I think it's the right thing to do? No. Do I think people consciously know what they're doing? Yeah, I, I do. <laughs> yeah. Um, so to come back and say, well, that wasn't fair. It's like, well, you freaking knowingly went and did it. Like nobody was twisting your arm. You did a cost benefit way and decided it was you know more beneficial for me to do that. So, eh. but I do wholeheartedly believe you should pay an intern. Like I said, even if it's the minimum wage, because that's only, it's only right. And hell, every labor law we have here says you have to do that. Yeah. Um, so I don't know the loopholes behind it very well, but, um, and I remember looking at internships when I was coming out of school and every internship I looked at, I'm not, I'm sorry, not while I was coming out of school, while I was in school, every internship I looked at was paid. Mm-hmm. Um, and I thought, and I think 
over minimum wage. So I, w- I was not familiar with the unpaid internship part. Yeah, I totally agree. Um, I don't know if I mentioned this at the top, but I fully agree that in the Chappelle case, he doesn't have a contractual leg to stand on. But I think what it is is trying to highlight, you know, this sort of predatory relationship in our society where he was a big name at the time that he got that. I don't know what you call it, sketch comedy show. I guess if you're going to get your own show, you probably are. Yeah. But at the same time, he was also sort of disadvantaged from, um, you know, he had minimal negotiating power because he was also a starving artist at the same time and looking for that big, you know, uh, considered big payout at the time. So he was sort of disadvantaged in that sense. Um, I mean, I don't know his career that well. Obviously, I've seen some of the skits and stuff and he's a genius and a lot of those, you know, I think he's one of the top of the top in that 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 area right Mm -hmm. but when he did the Chappelle show did that set him up kind of like that internship for stepping stones into other things where he became more and more famous or powerful however you want to put that you know what I mean yeah I wouldn't say so because he was um he was pretty big and people were waiting for the next you know hour special that he would have coming up when he did the Chappelle show it definitely continued his legacy but then after the Chappelle show he completely disappeared and was gone for I don't even know how long like 10 years or something maybe not 10 years but it was a long time and then he just recently came back over the last three years or so and he's just been cranking out a bunch of specials uh with Netflix so um I would argue that a lot of his following stemmed from his HBO special, I think it was called Killing Me Softly. Um, <laughs> or Killing Them Softly, something like that. But anyway, I think so coming back to general, away from Chappelle, a lot yeah. of it I think stems from companies trying to create more of a profit margin. So using whatever opportunities they can to sort of cut costs. And I think we touched a little bit on this and sort of labor is one of those things. And particularly when you go when a company goes public and has shareholders and you get all this pressure from your shareholders to cut costs some kind of way that can negative negatively impact your company and what you're trying to do like i know a lot of the companies that i worked with i could definitely tell between working with a public company and a private company like there was a massive difference like um prime store for 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 instance that we talked to in our recent our last episode a company with that type of ideology would not fly as a public company no way (laughs) there is no way having shareholders would allow some sort of like ideology like that and you know bigger picture thinking you know they come in and they want to cut 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 to make it as efficient as possible maximum payout as possible as quickly as possible yeah, I think um, you're right, and I think, and I would tell you, I think you're taking a little bit of a darker shade on that, right? Okay. Um, a little bit more extreme. Let me say, let me say it that way, right? Not, not by extreme sake, but just it's further that way. Yeah. Um, I mean, the only the only people that I know from a public standpoint or whatever that that actually you know believe in ideology and everything else is you know the guys that have invested in Tesla, right? None of them have been paid yet, but they keep pumping money back into this guy, right? Yeah. 
Um, good for him. Um, and I do think he's a visionary and everything else that goes along with it. Um, I, there is a, there is a very decided difference because of the companies that, that I work for, right. were privately held at one point and now it's still privately owned, but it's part of a hedge fund and whatever. There is a massively decided difference between the two. Yeah. I know as a person, I don't like corporate. Mm -hmm. I'm not a corporate person. I don't get along with corporate. I don't speak <laughs> corporate. I don't believe in the waste that comes along with corporate. Yeah. And at the same point, ideal, ideologically, yeah. I think um, that's another reason why I'm not very corporate. Um, <laughs> I, I, I'm on, I'm on different sides. I want to make, I want us to make a lot of money, mm -hmm. but I also, you know, it's, it's always company first, associate second and individual last, but at the same point, I don't, I want them to be close. The first two, I don't want it to be extreme. I don't want to be massive gaps. I don't want to, you know, win at the detriment of others, if that makes sense with, within the company. And it's a highly difficult line to walk mm -hmm. um, because, you know, for instance, we're both, both our companies are, are profitable. Thank God. Right. Yeah. Um, and, and, and doing very well, but it may not be profitable enough. You know what I mean? And so you look at those types of things and it's like, well, to what degree are we talking about here? Yeah. Right. Like, like we're like, there's nothing and we run super lean as it is. And so it's like, even if it got down to it, all I'm going to be doing is cutting into bone. If we, if they told us we had to cut and um, because you need that, that, that margin to be a specific margin, right. Even if they just want to show it quickly, mm -hmm. you know what I mean? For different reasons. Mm -hmm. And, um, and we're not doing that, you know, so, so for heaven forbid, anybody here's it relax, you know, but, <laughs> but ultimately like, it's just, it's, it's that pressure. Yeah. Right. And having to report and whatever. So, um, you have that, that for sure, you're right. Adds additional strain, um, to what you're trying to, to do now. I do think there's levels of that too, right? There's, there's corporate atmospheres or public atmospheres that are more, that truly are more associate centric, mm -hmm. um, than others. Right. Um, and it really depends on the personality and the strength of the leader of that company to be able to uphold those standards when dealing with the board and, 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 and the shareholders and that type of thing. You know, this is it, it really has to be something where the vision and the plan matches the results. You know what I'm saying? Like that context has to be set correctly from the beginning because no, they just don't like swings. Yeah, it has to be tied together. It has to be tied together and you still have to be successful. So it can't be one of those things where everybody's like, well, this is really what we want to do and whatever. And then you tank. I mean, it's only fair for everybody to be like, you know, clearly that didn't work. You know what I mean? <laughs> like you need to make some changes. But I think that's the biggest issue. And that comes back to the communication that most people aren't very good at. Mm -hmm. Right. They're not very good at creating the vision and then explaining what that vision is and how you're going to get there from A to A to at least F, you know what I mean? Like that kind of thing and those types of steps and then see it actually play out that way and adjust as necessarily along the way. But yeah, I do mean, you think, do you think you kind of lose the soul of can. what you're trying to contribute to the world as a company? It depends on leadership. Like it, like it all comes down to, in, in my opinion, it all comes down to leadership. And that doesn't necessarily mean the person at the top. Mm -hmm. um, the person at the top has to send, set context properly. Um, and then the next individuals, usually that executive line or whatever it is, have to have to A, understand what the vision is and B, be adept enough to be able to enact a plan that holds those principles along with getting, you know, profitable results. So one doesn't have to bastardize the other, yeah. but it's not easy. You know what I mean? It's, it's not an easy thing to do. 
Um, does it tend to alienate things? Probably a little bit more than the opposite, you know, because at the end, we all got to pay the piper, right? Is kind of the idea when you get into those types of situations where it's, it's um, you know, driven solely by shareholders and whatnot. Mm-hmm. Um, but I really believe it comes to setting the context properly from the beginning. Just people don't like surprises. Yeah. Everybody likes changes and surprises, and and that's why the stock market fluctuates, right? When there's when there's surprises and stuff, if you think about it, it bounces all the way around. If it's just consistent, it keeps going, right? Um, one way or the other, like it, just no big bounces is what everybody wants. So, well, I you mentioned I, I was going a little too far, oh, but yeah, but I think it um, I think it sort of does apply in that if you look at the landscape of business it's very rare that you find a company that is, you know, taking care of their employees and not trying to screw over people and has this bigger ideology about improving the planet or whatever, whatever it may be and is successful as a business. Yeah. I think, I think, you know, one of the things I look at, you know, hopefully I'll have some additional opportunities in the future, right? I'm I'm not yet 40. <laughs> But this year feels like I added 15 years, you know what I yeah. mean? Yeah, <laughs> um, for sure. 15 for one. Yeah. Oh, gosh. The, um, I think what I look at, like, is, is we, and maybe this will answer, help, help. Maybe I'm, I'm trying to answer that question. The, the question everybody always asks is, like, when's enough enough, yeah. right? Like, when's enough enough? Well, the answer to that is there's really no answer, right? Enough, enough is never enough. Now, here's, here's where I look at it being the difference. Let's say I set a goal and I want to achieve X amount right? And, and individuals can look at this personally, right? I want to get in a three bedroom house with 1500 feet and whatever, and then be able to have a nice car and a couple kids and you know 2.5 kids and 1.3 dogs or however that works out, right? Mm-hmm. Well, it doesn't mean you've achieved it and you need to stop, mm-hmm. right? Shouldn't you then want to level up again, right? What's, there's nothing wrong with that, yeah, right? So it's like, okay, I got my goal. Cool. Add another goal. Right. And I'm not saying it needs to be about monetary stuff. It could be about, you know, reaching and helping 5 million people as opposed to whatever it is, right? Like Bombas, the sock company, right? Yeah. That delivers socks or whatever. And um, my wife just bought some. So <laughs> shout out to Bombas. Um, but from a company standpoint, it could be the same thing, right? So if I'm running a company and it's like, look, this is what we want to achieve. I want to get X, X amount of profit per year, blah, 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 blah. But I also want to, you know, give back to the team as well that ratio doesn't have to stay the same yeah and get bigger and bigger and bigger which may be something that we're talking about because the idea of when is enough become enough well maybe i set up my life and i achieved what i needed to now that doesn't mean i should then go every year and not get anything out of it anymore yeah. right maybe what i do is instead of taking you know, hopefully everybody's making 20 percent. that's not the case right but 20 percent. well maybe now i make 15 on top of whatever i was doing before and i gave out five more yeah you know what I mean? And then as you get bigger and bigger and bigger, maybe next time it's 14 and I gave out more, you know, whatever that is, because, and this goes back to some of the other conversations we had before, you don't want me to stop. Correct. Because you're providing value back to these other individuals. But I think what we're trying to say to be leery of is me where it was at 20, now taking 21 and taking, you know what I mean? Or taking 22 or whatever, not giving that back. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? Or maybe I could stay at 20 because our gross margin grows, but whatever is above that 20, I then disseminate to the other individuals or we set up a charity or, you know, Lord knows what that's going to be. I think that's the part we miss. Yeah. If that makes sense. No, totally. I totally agree. Cause I think the answer to when is enough enough is when it becomes a detriment to others and takes away from others. 
because I think people have that wrong, right? They see the people like like the wealthy, whatever yeah. that looks like, right? You yeah. throw that in air quotes. They see as they make more and more money. And it's like, but they should. The difference is I think what you want to do is you want to look at it and say, okay, they're making more money. They're being, they're, and this is, this is all opinions, right? Yeah. They're, they're being fairly compensated because they continue to put in the work and the vision and everything else go along with it. And they continue to invest their own money because that's how you keep the company going. Yeah. So they should profit off of that. You're just then asking to say, hey, look, don't start here and just keep doing this. Yeah. You're saying start, you know, nobody can see this, right? But you're saying start here and get to here and then kind of bring everybody up, you know, in a certain regard. Yeah. That would be ideal because that makes everybody feel good, right? Well, and it makes everything continue to work because if the gap grows, then you end up with no one to buy whatever stuff you're making. Absolutely. But I think, I think the difference becomes those individuals that are trying to put their opinions on these things, A, don't understand what it's like to be this guy and how much stress they come out with and whatever. The, it top, is. Just, the top person. They just generally don't know that, right? And what it took to even get to that point. They never see that. They only see this part, right? Where they're making a lot of money and whatever, not the other sacrifices that go along with it. Yeah. But the blend is, okay, to me, enough of enough, enough is X. Well, now I'm going to still go X plus one plus two plus three, but I want to be able to bring up the rest of the group commensurately. Now, the issue with that is if you have two, 300 people in the company, mm-hmm. it was $100,000, $100,000. They don't really feel that, you, you know what I'm saying, to a certain degree. So even though you may be doing it from the outset, it may not look like you're doing it is the other problem. Does that make sense? Yeah, but, uh, but I'm not. I think they would feel it because, <laughs> because well, I, mean, I mean, those numbers make sense, but yeah. Yeah. Cause to their lifestyle, a small increase mm-hmm. can make a huge difference, but we, uh, we've far exhausted this one. <laughs> I knew this was going in, was going to be a big one, but, um, maybe we could run this over to the next episode or I think we should, I think it's a good point because I, you know, for people that are our age bracket right now, which is really the next up and coming portion of what's going into our industry, mm-hmm. right? Like we've talked about that. There's a, tr- there's a tremendous gap between 60 and 65 years old and the next generation, which is about 40, right? 40 and below, th- let's call it 35 to 45, yeah. right? There's a big gap there. Well, we're the ones that are most likely going to be running these companies coming up, mm-hmm. right? If, if, we're, if we're worth our salt or starting new companies or taking over, there's, there's going to be tremendous opportunity to do so. So I think it's a really relevant discussion to have because I want to know what people want, you know what I mean, for the most part, and what they think is fair. Yeah. In air quoted fair, right? Um, because I ultimately do want to give to people. There's only so much that I need or want. Mm-hmm. But, beyond, but I also don't want to just work for everybody else. That doesn't make sense, right? You want to work for your own legacy. So how do you balance... And by legacy, for me, I mean family. So, you know, how do you balance what I need to achieve individually versus what feels really good to the group that I'm giving back? I ultimately think they'll feel, it'll feel genuine about it anyway. Mm-hmm. You know, if you, if your heart's set in that, you know, in that, in that paradigm, but, but how's it perceived? I think it's a great discussion. I think you're right. Maybe we should roll it into the next one. Yeah. So we get like questions from people too, like their opinions. Yeah, that'd be great if, uh, you know, if you're listening to this and shoot us, you know what I mean to them? Like what, what, what would feel good from a company perspective that they, you know, feel like they invest in you or they give back or what that looks like. You know what I mean? Yeah. Yeah. So I would love to field some questions or opinions on any of our social media 
outlets that you see this, um, or you can email us, hello at spacespodcast.com. Also wanted to mention there was a great episode on TRXL, uh, one of our partner podcasts on Gable Media that just dug in with um, one of the co-founders of Upcodes about that lawsuit and um, you know how they dealt with the ICC and are still dealing with the ICC. So you can check them out too, Gable Media. Uh, I think it's slash gablemedia.com slash TRXO. But just go to gablemedia.com to check that out. And um, other than that, we will talk with you again on Thursday. Thanks. This show is part of the Gable Media Network. You can check out similar content at gablemedia.com. That's G-A-B-L media.com. You can help support what we're doing here by leaving a five-star rating and a review on your preferred podcasting app. It helps others find us, and your support is the only way that this show grows. And don't forget to connect with us through our Facebook community, Instagram, and see the random thoughts and articles that we share on Twitter and LinkedIn. Thank you again for spending some time with us. Talk soon. Hey, architecture firm owners and emerging leaders, get ready for unparalleled insight into the development of a world-class architecture firm and a worldwide organization driving the digital transformation of the design and construction industry with Build Smart, the podcast that's changing how our profession operates. We share the incredible stories behind innovation in the building industry with my friend and co-host Patrick McLaney, FAIA former CEO of the international architecture firm, HOK. You know, Yamasaki's office or firm lasted during his lifetime. And when he passed away, I think that was the end of the Yamasaki office. Helmut did not want that. He wanted a firm that would live out and grow beyond the founders. In season one, discover the untold stories behind HOK's meteoric rise. From 150 employees in St. Louis to a powerhouse with over 1,900 staff members and 27 offices worldwide. You know, they weren't as polite as the Kojima people. That was just boom. And anytime you have a creditor, whether it's Kojima or the bank, that wants their money, unless you can raise money someplace else, you are out of business. Bankrupt. Bankrupt. And hold on tight for season two, where Patrick takes us on a new adventure as chairman of Building Smart International, 
shaping the future of digital transformation in the design, construction, and operation of built assets. Ian Howell, Ken Harold, and I, Ken was my technical representative from HOP, the three of us took a tour of Europe of five cities in five days. Very busy time. Simply follow the link in the show notes to subscribe to Build Smart Now and uncover lessons that will transform you and your architecture firm.